0: We do have a slide here uh, kind of representing the seminar title and also the um, uh, topic that we're speaking about tonight, the end of Spectator Church. But what I specifically want to talk about, because this lesson will lay a foundation uh, for what's going to be in those uh, four video sessions for the small groups. I do give a little bit of a review, but um, I'm going to be talking with you tonight specifically about uh, a message that we're going to call the priesthood of the believer. The priesthood of the believer. Just the very term priest, depending on your background, uh, if you you were raised Catholic, correct? And if you were raised Catholic or Anglican or Greek Orthodox, then you have a certain concept of priesthood, and, and that's not particularly what I'm going to be talking about tonight. I'm going to be talking about the priesthood of every single Christian. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, uh, reading uh, from the New Living Translation, the Apostle Peter says this. Let's pop that up on the screen if we could. You also, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Did you notice how Peter worded that? He said, you are living stones. You know, in the Old Testament, you had buildings that, you know, God lived in the buildings and that type of thing. In the New Testament, buildings are functional, But God doesn't live in the building. God lives in the hearts of the people who are in the building. Thank God for buildings. You know, I think buildings are awesome things, but they're, they're tools. They're, they're utilitarian. And uh, in the New Testament, you and I as believers are living stones who are being built up a spiritual house, a spiritual temple. Uh, we are a holy priesthood, the Bible says. And, um, and, and so Peter was writing to many different believers in many different congregations across a very wide geographical area. So the first thing I want you to understand tonight, if you are a born-again believer, uh, you are a priest. Now you heard Pastor Mark just a minute ago talk about when he was going to, when he was receiving the offering that we're really giving them to and through who, our high priest Jesus. So we understand that Jesus is our high priest, but we are a a kingdom of priests. We are holy priests. In First uh, Peter chapter two verse nine, Peter says this but you are a chosen generation. Have you ever wondered about the generation in which we live? Have you ever thought about, man, things are bad out. Things are seeming to get worse. Did you know every generation has thought that? You know, sometimes just for fun, I I have a, a website that I go through. It's called newspapers.com, and I actually found some articles about Pastor Mark when he was a Minneapolis all-star. But sometimes I just go back and read old newspaper articles that, um, and you know, you're reading somebody writing in the 1970s, and they're saying, society is coming apart at the seams. You know, uh, people are, you know, turning away from God. Every generation has had its Trauma and complaints and things like that. I don't want to focus on what the devil's doing. I want to focus on what God is doing. We are a chosen generation. You say, well, what if everything just totally goes to pot? We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And, and let's look at that verse again, 1 Peter 2, 9. You're a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. How many of you know you're royalty? We are, we are related to and connected to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Uh, Jesus will reign forever and ever. And, uh, I, I, you know, I don't want things to be bad in the world, but I'll tell you what, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world And and we're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Peter has told us two things. He has told us that we are a holy priesthood, and he has told us that we are a royal priesthood. That's a pretty good start to understanding that every believer in the New Testament sense, Now, I'm not talking church hierarchy, I'm not talking church denomination, I'm talking in the biblical sense, every believer is a priest. Now, when you hear the word priest, depending on your background, you may have different images come to your mind. But if you're thinking in terms of the Old Testament, How many of you know the Old Testament had a priesthood? And and really, in the Old Testament priesthood, not many people got to be a priest. Number one, you had to be a male. Number two, you had to be a physical descendant of Aaron, which meant you were part of the Levitical uh, tribe, but, but specifically a male descendant of Aaron. And you had to have no physical defects. So a really small percentage of the population got to be a priest. And and the priest, I've got a picture here that I want to show you. The priests would go into the temple. This is obviously somebody's imaginary recreation. But the priest would work in two different ways. Number one, they would work outside the tabernacle or outside the temple. And, and there they would offer up animal sacrifices, You know, people would bring... You see, you couldn't even... If you were not a priest, you couldn't deal directly with God. You had to give your lamb or your turtle dove or whatever your sacrifice... You had to give it to a priest. And a priest had to offer up the sacrifice for you. And there might be hundreds or thousands of animal sacrifices on a given day. And then, I'm talking Old Testament now, one priest per day got to go in to the holy place and and we want to pop that picture back up again real quick if we could the priest would go in and he would go through certain washings and cleansings and um, he would then go to an altar inside the tabernacle or the temple and he would offer up incense and that aroma would come up and s- it w- smoke would be there and, and that had a, a a beautiful aroma to it. But notice what would happen if you were in that, uh, in that particular compartment of the tabernacle or temple. Your clothing would be saturated with that fragrance. And your hair, your beard, whatever the head covering is, uh, when you left that place, you would carry the aroma of the presence of God. You would carry the aroma, really physically, of the incense that represented the prayers and the praise of God's people. In the days of Jesus, there were 18,000 priests. And they're all working in one building in the temple in Jerusalem. And they had them divided into 24 groups. And if you were a priest, your group would only be on duty two weeks out of the year. Now, the other 50 weeks, you might be a farmer or any other number of professions, but those two weeks, you would go to Jerusalem and you would work, and the bulk of all those priests would be receiving the animal sacrifices, and only one person, one in the morning, one in the evening, would be fortunate enough to be selected to go into the holy place. Most priests lived their entire lives and never got selected to go in. It's a minority. So you say, why why does this matter? What I'm wanting you to see is that the priests in the Old Testament were the only ones that could interact between God and the people, and most of them didn't even get to go into the presence of God. The great bulk of of the people who believed in Jehovah the covenant people of God had to always stay outside and separated from and away from God and only only the priest could do this mediatorial work and only the high priest could go in once a year to the holy of holies we have one more picture of a priest kind of a little drawing just to give you an idea you know, this is what they would do. I don't know. I think Pastor Mark probably ought to wear some clothes like that. Do you think, could you receive better? No, no, we're not We're not under the law anymore. Okay, you don't have to dress like that anymore. But uh, that's what the priest would do. Now, there's one priest in particular that we want to talk about, and that is Zechariah. Zechariah was the father of John the Baptist, and he was a priest. And you remember, Zechariah and Elizabeth were very old, and um, they were childless. And uh, Zechariah, let's read this in Luke chapter 1, verse 8. Many times people read this kind of prior to the Christmas story, because, you know, john the baptist was born shortly before jesus was born and that type of thing in luke chapter 1 verse 8 it says one day Zechariah was serving god in the temple for his order he was a priest his order was on duty that week as was the custom of the priests he was chosen by lot they would cast lots um, you know, today you hear the term lottery and you think, "Everybody, I want to win the mega millions and things like that. Well, their lottery was to see which priest got to go in and, and the day that you got as a priest to go in and offer the incense, that was the best day of your life. You got to go into the holy place and offer up incense to God. And so Zechariah probably had had his name not chosen. Let's say he was 70 or 80. I don't remember how old he was. So for 65 years, his name had not been chosen. And at the end of every two-week period, he would go back home and, and, and man, by now he's old and he's probably thinking, I'm never going to get to go into the presence of God, even though he was a priest. As the custom of the priest As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by Lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside. That's the story. Most people didn't get to draw near to God. Most people had to stay away from the presence of God because they weren't qualified according to that system. Jesus is not only our high priest, but he was also the sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. And so when Jesus came as the high priest and as the sacrifice, those two are not contradictory, they're just different Perspectives of who Jesus was and what Jesus did. When Jesus became the sacrifice for our sins, all of a sudden the blood that He shed was sufficient to take away all of our sins. And then in His resurrection, we were born again. We were made new creatures in Christ. We were forgiven. We were redeemed back to God. And we were given a status... Of priests of the New Testament. New Testament priests. And Peter said, You're a holy priesthood. You are a royal priesthood. And he, well, let's look at what John said. John said, Jesus, Revelation 1 6, Jesus has made us kings and priests to his God and Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever our priesthood is different than their priesthood in their priesthood only once in a great while would a priest get to go into the presence of god our priesthood enables us all to go into the into the presence of god through our high priest Jesus Christ. We don't have to wait to be chosen in some lottery to go in. We get to go in because of what Jesus did for us. And that's, that's powerful of our priesthood. Let me tell you a definition for priesthood for the New Testament believer. The priesthood of the believer means that we all have the privilege of accessing the presence and the blessings of God. Did you know now, you know I love Pastor Mark and Brenda, and I believe they are top-notch pastors, ministers. They know the Word. They know the Holy Spirit. They are top-notch ministers. But did you know they are not your mediator between you and God? Paul told Timothy, there is one God... And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's why when you get up in the morning, you don't need to pray, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus and Pastor Mark. See, some people want to drop names. You know how people drop names? Yeah, well, I'm friends with Pastor Mark. No, when, when you go to God, you don't have to be friends with Pastor Mark. You need to be friends with Jesus. You know, I mean, they're fivefold ministers, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm a Bible teacher, but you don't need to use my name when you go to Jesus. My job as a teacher is not to make you more dependent on me. My job as a teacher is to point you to Him and increase your dependence upon Jesus. Pastors play an important role in overseeing the church, and they've got certain responsibilities that go with their uh, office and with their assignment. But um, And apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers all have important roles in the body of Christ, but there's only one Savior. There's only one Redeemer. There's only one High Priest. And the priesthood of the believer, your priesthood, means that you have the privilege. Everybody say privilege. You have the privilege of access into the presence and the blessings of God and the responsibility. Everybody say responsibility. And the responsibility of conveying and sharing those blessings with others. See, priesthood has always been a two-way street. Priesthood was always about offering up sacrifices. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the priest represented the people to God, and then the priest represented God to the people. Our New Testament priesthood is, is similar in that we have the privilege of going into the presence of God, but we are changed by being in His presence. We are refreshed, and many times we are equipped and empowered, and then we represent God to the people. Such a powerful, uh, powerful thought. Let's look at something in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Do you remember the picture of the priest that we showed you? Uh, where he was standing in all that smoke. Now, I don't want to get into something negative, but how many of you have spent, maybe in your past life before Jesus, you spent a lot of time in smoke-filled rooms too. But it wasn't the glory of God. Okay? And, And maybe, you know, you were... I don't want to get into what all you might have been doing. But anyway, how many of you thank God for the blood of Jesus... But when you left that smoke-filled room, you carried something with you. And maybe you ran into somebody and they said, where have you been? Oh, nowhere. And they're going, you've been somewhere. (laughs) Because you carried something with you. Look at the last part of this in uh, verse 14. Uh, Now He uses us. It's kind of toward the end. Now He uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. That is priestly language. Let's look at the next part of that verse. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. But here's what I want you to understand. Paul, he doesn't exactly say that you are a priest, but that language is talking about a priestly function that we get to operate in. Every believer in the New Testament is a priest. Let me give you a few thoughts, and I, I'm not going to take a long time with this, but these are really important. I, I was sharing this message in Colorado. I don't remember when, and uh, no, not terribly long ago, my wife was on that particular trip. She was back at the book table, and uh, she said there were two like 85 year old ladies. I used to think that was old. I don't think that's so old anymore. You know, just you know. When I was 20, I thought, "Man, once you get 50, you're you know." Uh, I'd like to be 50 again, you know, kind of. But anyway, um, two two 85-year-old ladies were walking beside each other, and my wife heard them say. One of them said, "I've been in church all my life, and I didn't know until today that I'm a priest." Because, you know, sometimes we just read over things and we don't really take time. Peter said, we are priests. That means we have access to God. That means we get the, the privilege and responsibility of representing God. And John said, we are a kingdom of priests. We're royalty as priests. Now... I want to give you five ways because I don't want you to just walk out and say, well, I didn't know I was a priest until... I want you to know... Some... What do you do with your priesthood? How do you apply your priesthood? Number one, we function as priests when we present ourselves to God, including our bodies to God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 We've read this many times, but we haven't always realized this is priestly terminology. Uh, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... How many of you know without God's mercy, we would be toast? In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies to God, uh, uh, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. If you were an Old Testament priest, you took somebody else's animal and, and killed it and shed the blood and offered it on the altar where it was roasted, basically. But in the New Testament, you don't get to offer some dead animal. You get to offer yourself. You get to offer your own body. Why does the Bible tell us to offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice? Probably because your body won't offer itself. Your body wants to do its own thing. We have flesh yet to deal with, and we have to offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. You know, the Bible says that we are not our own. We were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit which belong to God. The, the um, common English Bible of Romans chapter 12 says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. So you say, well, I'm a priest. Well, what, what do you do as a priest? We don't do what the Old Testament priests did. We offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. We don't offer an animal as a dying sacrifice. We get to offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. That means you don't get to say all the words that you think you want to say. Your mouth belongs to God. You don't just get to listen to any garbage and junk. You don't get to look at things you might think your flesh wants to look at. Uh, You don't get to do things with your hands or your feet. We offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Number two, the second thing and way we function as priests is we function as priests when we worship, praise, praise and pray. Somebody could have walked in earlier and said, well, what are they doing in there? And somebody said, oh, they're singing songs. Ah, Externally, yes, but but in reality we're worshiping as priests. David said this in Psalm 141, verse 2. He said, let my prayer be as the evening sacrifice that burns like fragrant incense rising as my offering to you as I lift my hands in surrendered worship. What's so powerful about that is that David was not a priest. David was from the tribe of Judah, not from the tribe of Levi. He was not a descendant of Aaron. And yet, even though he was not a priest in the legal, technical sense of the Old Testament, he understood that when we pray, there is a priestly element To our prayers. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, see the Old Testament priests always offered up sacrifices. New Testament priests offer up sacrifices too. They're just a different kind. Therefore, Hebrews 13, 15, therefore, by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips. Con, uh, con, uh, giving thanks to His name, so we we function as priests in, in consecration, in holy surrender to God. When we offer our lives and our bodies to Him, we function as priests when we worship, praise, and pray. And this, to me, is one of the most important ones. We function as priests when we serve. You know, I am so convinced this is a message I absolutely cannot get away from. I've been preaching it for decades now. And that is God has a plan and a purpose for every believer to serve Him and to serve others. God has put gifts on the inside of each one of us. Things that we can render to God in through servanthood. You know, sometimes we think about, well, I'll do something for Jesus. Well, yes, we always do it as unto the Lord. But Jesus said, inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it for me. So if you want to serve Jesus, serve one another. Now, in John chapter 12, there's a powerful, powerful passage where it says, then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume." Now I don't know. I'm not much of a shopper, but because my wife is real particular, and so she wouldn't want me buying something without her being there to check it out. But I know, 12 ounce, real expensive perfume today doesn't come in 12 ounce jars. Comes in a quarter of an ounce. I mean, just is there a drop in there? Yeah, and that's hundreds of dollars. You know, the real expensive perfume. But Mary had a 12 ounce jar. A very expensive perfume. We find out as we read later in John chapter 12 that this perfume, 12 ounces, was valued at a year's salary for a, a person. This stuff was mega expensive. And what did Mary do? She anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair and notice this the house was filled with the fragrance see in the temple they had they had um incense here you have fragrant perfume and and in the in the old testament you had the house being filled with the smoke of the incense but here you have the house being filled with the fragrance can you see there's kind of priestly imagery here And it's kind of an interesting, kind of a combination because basic hospitality in the Old Testament was exercised through a basin of water and a towel where they would wash the feet of a guest who had come in because of the climate and the um, land and everything. People's feet would get dusty and dirty. So Servanthood 101 was to take a basin of water and a towel and a servant would wash the feet of the guest. Well, Jesus was a guest, but Mary didn't use uh, a basin of water. She used perfume that was worth a year's salary. And Mary didn't use a towel. She used her hair. In other words, this was deeply Personal. This was profoundly devotional, what Mary did. And, um, and, and we get the privilege of when we serve with the children or serve in the kitchen or serve by ushering or serve in music or serve in outreach or you know, care for one another, love one another, if we do it with the right heart, we're doing the same thing that Mary did. When we serve God's people, we're serving God. Jesus said, When you've done it for the least of these, my brethren, you've done it for me. The house gets filled with the fragrance. You know, when when a and I'm not talking about this church, but many times when a church is made up of people who are just, Well, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? You know, that church is filled with the fragrance too. But not a good one. That's called the stench of selfishness. But when people laid down their lives in sacrificial service to one another, look at this in Hebrews thirteen sixteen. In the message version, it says, Make sure you don't take things for granted and go slack in working for the common good. Uh, share what you have with others. God takes particular pleasure in acts of worship a different kind of sacrifice that takes place in the kitchen and workplace and on the streets. See, sometimes we think, well, Pastor Mark and Brenda, boy, they really serve God when they get up and preach and teach. Well, yes, they do. But you serve God when you do anything that benefits the church, anything that benefits a brother or sister in Christ, anything that expresses the love of God to people that don't even know Him. Number four... We function as priests when we give. I got so convicted when I was writing all this. You know, this is all from the book, but I, I thought, how many times have I just given mechanically? You know, just drop it in the bucket or, you know, just, you know, kind of give without having a heart. And sometimes people say, you know, well, boy, the the worship is so glorious, and and when the Word is preached, I just get under the anointing, but, you know, the offering time is just, you know, that's that's the intermission. You know, that's when... No, the offering is just as much worship. Look at what Paul said, Philippians 4.18. He said, For I've received the gift you sent by Epaphroditus, and viewed it as a sweet sacrifice perfumed with the fragrance of your faithfulness, which is so pleasing to God. See, that's priestly terminology. If you give mechanically and without heart motivation and devotional love, then it's just you are just dropping something in the bucket but when you say god this represents my life this represents you know my energy and effort and the talents the gifts you have given me and god i give this to you in in sacrificial devotion you know every time you receive tithes in this place spiritually speaking when our hearts are right there's a fragrance of the faithfulness of god's people that is pleasing to Him. And f- number five and finally, we function as priests when we evangelize, when we share the love of God with people that don't know Him, when we tell people that God loves you so much that Jesus died for you, rose from the dead so that you could be forgiven and have the gift of eternal life. Paul said in Romans 15, 16, He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So proclaiming the gospel is a priestly duty. Now, not everybody's anointed to preach the gospel in terms of a pulpit and that type of thing, but anytime times any believer communicates the love of God, communicates what Jesus did, you share your testimony, what Jesus did for you, that's a priestly duty. And when that person receives Jesus, they become an offering rendered up to God. Uh, so, so just in, in quick summary, we function as priests when we offer our very selves to God, including our bodies. We function as priests when we worship, praise, and pray. We function as priests when we serve, when we give, and when we evangelize. You say, well, Brother Cook, that's basically, that's just kind of the kind of what the Christian life is made up of. I know it because we're a kingdom of priests and everything we do can be a priestly duty. We're not outsiders, we're insiders. Thank God for pastors and teachers and different ones that are anointed to teach and minister, but, but we don't take the place of your high priest Jesus. We point you to the high priest Jesus And we celebrate when you function in your priesthood and know that you have the privilege of accessing the presence of God, being changed and transformed, and then as you, not that you leave the presence of God per se, but as you go about your daily routine, you're not just a a passive spectator Christian, you're carrying the presence of God everywhere you go. You bear the presence of God and the fragrance of Almighty God. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the fact that we are a family of priests. We are a holy priesthood, uh, a royal priesthood. We are kings and priests unto God. Father, help us to unpack that, to live in the light of it, to know that we don't just do mechanical prayers and we don't just do mechanical spiritual things, but Father, we do it as priests who enjoy the very presence of God. Lord, help us to walk in the light of that And Lord, we just want to thank you for it and help us to uh, just really find out and discover all that our priesthood means and walk in the light of it. In Jesus' name, just heads bowed, eyes closed.